Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays. What's going on, George? Morning. It's Text Driven Tuesday, which means it's Monday for us. How are you feeling on this Monday? Feeling pretty good. Feeling yep. good? Yep. Yeah. You finished up a book, First Peter? I did. Yep. Phil, you have a sense of satisfaction of completion. You know, it's always it's always fun to actually finish the book. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. I, I know you don't know what that's like since <laughs> <laughs> so you've been going through John for what three years. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. We're in chap- chapter sixteen is about to start coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, but it's you know it's um, it's nice to be able to to go through the entire book. Yeah, to see it from start to finish. Um, hopefully, it's been beneficial for. Our church. It's been yeah. beneficial for me, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. uh, I mean, there's, it, and you know this, for just the little bit that you see on a Sunday morning, there's so much that you you just don't have the time to present. And so it's just like personal benefit of reading right. the book and studying through it and, and gleaning some of these things that are, are great and they're important, but they're not as important as some other things. So you don't, you yeah, just have to kind of get rid of some of the the other stuff to to get to the real the real heart of the passage. Yeah, and that you know that and a sermon's not a lecture, so you <clears> want to try right. to uh, do more than just present information. Mm-hmm. You're you know appealing to people's uh, through their mind and appealing to their heart and um, illustrating and uh, making application. And you just can't you can't bring everything. So you're right. Yeah, a lot of the stuff ends up being. Uh, you keep it in the office, and you realize, oh man, I uh, I thought I knew that book per- <laughs> right. pretty good, but then when you get done, you're like, well, I actually didn't know it, and now yeah. I feel like I really did. right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were hard passages mm-hmm. in this book, yeah, and I feel like I've come away understanding what these passages mean, yeah, and so I I hope that that just sticks with the church. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't expect them to remember yeah. the sermons, uh, you know, months down the line, but you want them to have a good overall understanding of the book and mm-hmm. hopefully it uh, it affects them. Yeah. So you're you're here at the very end and in my bible it says final greetings. Yeah. <laughs> um and it's 12, it's uh verses 12 through 14. Yeah. Just a few verses and like you said, some people may be tempted to think, oh, these are kind of just throwaway verses. But you told us that these in these final verses were really reminded of this of the same uh, of the main themes of the book over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah, I was debating whether to preach this separately or to just tag it on to last week's sermon. Uh-huh. Um because I I look when I'm outlining books, I look at what other guys have done. Yeah. And um not a lot of them did these verses by themselves. They yeah. they just added them. So I was debating it, but you know, I really wanted to stress the fact that this is this is God's word too. Mm-hmm. Like it it may say final greetings, and it may have you know this personal flavor that that Peter is writing to people that he knows, and we don't know them, mm-hmm. and he's writing about people sending greetings and. And we don't know these people personally, so what does this have to do with us? But this is this is still included. Like the Holy yeah. Spirit still um, saw fit to include this. Like this could have been cut off, right? <laughs> over two thousand years, we, you know. But it's been transmitted to us <clears throat> down the ages, 
And so it's it's important for us. Yeah, that's one of the good things to remember is it reminds you that these that the Bible is from it's from like letters like this are written by real people to mm-hmm. to real people. <laughs> right. This is not a fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these people existed at one time. This church, these churches of Asia Minor existed at one time, and probably churches exist today that have been planted mm. by them. You know. The, Obviously, they die, but a church plants another church, plants another church. Like right. you, if you had a time machine, you could follow it all the way back to these churches. Right, they existed, and so these ending remarks remind us of that truth. As you know, well. it's it, you bring that up, and it's very interesting because there are, um, you know, secular scholars who like to say there were all of these books that were being used in the churches in the first century, these lost gospels, you know, right. the lost gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Peter and, and all of these Gnostic gospels. And it was at the council of Nicaea that the church got rid of all these yeah, other books and yeah. they trimmed it down. Well, if you look at those books, they don't have this kind of, they don't have these greetings. Like they're, they ano- they're anonymous. You and don't know who wrote them. You don't know where they went to, where they're coming from. Um, they are not like what we have here in the New Testament. They're also we know they're with written a, from with, with weird. They're filled with weird, oh, yeah, yeah. with weird stuff. Oh yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. now now, I, got, now I don't got, I don't mean miracles like like an atheist or someone who, who's simply a, a materialist will say you guys have weird stuff mm-hmm. in your books, but <laughs> right. but these aren't. These aren't the same type of weird things, you know, like we have miracles, which, yes, are supernatural, but these other Gnostic Gospels have other weird things like, oh, uh, uh, Jesus, Mary, if you uh, just believe, he'll just make you a man. <laughs> That's right? right. Then yeah. you can go she to has to. She has to be made a man in order to or, enter the kingdom. Or Jesus comes out of the tomb and he's like 100 feet tall. Yeah, his head's in the clouds. Yeah, yeah. The Gospel of Peter. It's, yeah, you, got just, the, you have the cross coming out of the tomb and talking. Yeah, cross. Yeah. <laughs> <Like, laughs> It's clear, right? When you right. when if you if you just read them, you go, okay. The church obviously before uh, Constantine threw these out. <laughs> right? They were not using like these. They, they were they, they got Peter's letters and they're like, yeah, that's from Peter. We know Peter. Then they get these other gospels show up and they're like, what is this trash? <laughs> and they throw it out. That's right. Yeah, they were not using it. They're, yeah, if you ever come across anyone or any book that's talking about all these lost gospels and how the church, you know, decided these were not the books that they were going to use, so they just tossed them out. No, no, they already were tossed out. Right? <laughs> they were just making official what they already were using. And one of the reasons they tossed them out is because they contradict the gospel, mm-hmm. right? The gospel as handed down by the apostles. Right. Some mystery man shows up and he's like, "Hey, I got a gospel from Thomas," and they're like, "Let me read it," and it contradicts the gospel. And they're like, <laughs> and, and they're like, "Get that trash out of here, man! Get out of here with that nonsense!" Yeah, yeah. They had they had criteria for the books that they used, yeah. and one of them was it had to agree with the gospel right. that they'd been taught, it, and it couldn't be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Like they had to know who it was. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Right. Like we have our theories. But they, they, they prob- knew. But they knew. They knew. At they knew one who time. it was. And the reason we don't know is because uh, on the scrolls they had tags, mm-hmm. external tags that that type of material would be got, on, and they got ripped off. And got fall. lost some right. at some point. Yeah. yeah. But they knew. They knew who who it was. Um. And obviously the author knew that they would know because he didn't put his name on there. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um. But they knew. And so these who, who these, wrote it? these letters. I think it was Paul. Yeah. I I tend to agree with you. That's early church, early church testimony, yeah. um, up until the modern, modern textual criticism. Yeah, like it was, it was 
yeah. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Yeah. So, um, I think ma- maybe Luke wrote it. Maybe it, Luke actually wrote it. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's Paul's. <laughs> I mean, you you can read read through Romans and then read through Hebrews, and you're just gonna get like a, a vibe. Like mm-hmm. mm. uh, you can't put your finger on it, but you're like, it it seems like it's written yeah. by the per- same person, <laughs> right? To me, anyways. Yeah. And he has that authority, so he doesn't have to. Right. He doesn't have to argue for his authority. Yeah, yeah. that's well, that's kind of a rabbit trail, huh? <laughs> but it's important because well, you see these personal greetings, and you, like you said, they knew who this was coming from. Yeah. Well, it's relevant. Uh, it's I don't know. It's an important uh, sidebar. Yeah. On this, um, because it, these are names, and you can right. think, oh, just names, but real people. That's a reminder. This is this stuff. This is real. Yeah. This is real. It's concrete. Yeah. There's Sylvanus. There's Mark. There's the she who's at Babylon. That that's a church. That's yeah. It, it, yeah. These are real people. Well, today. So since we've already these themes have already come up, we've already talked about them right. before. Here, I think what I'd like to do today is have you read the passage, and then when they come up, um, we're not going to go back through the sermon like repreach it, but let's just concentrate on application. Okay. Yeah. Because I think it's very applicable. Oh, yeah. So could you read for us the end of this letter? Yeah. Um, so these are the last three verses, verses 12 through 14. It says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All right, very good. Okay, so you made five observations that help us summarize the letter here. So five observations that help us summarize the letter. Number one was that we have received a trustworthy gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see this from uh, Sylvania. He's a trustworthy, he's a faithful brother, and he is he's exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Right. So the gospel that we have is trustworthy. Yeah. So let, how do we just apply that in our life today? Well, I mean, the first thing is believe it. Mm. Like there's, I think that, um, you know, as I, I love the book of Hebrews. So as I'm reading first Peter, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is similar to what's going on in, in Hebrews. Like <laughs> Peter is writing this because the churches are going under fiery trials. They're experiencing persecution and suffering. And one of the temptations is to have this nagging doubt in the back of your mind. Maybe this isn't real. Uh Like, am I, am I going through this for nothing? Uh Um, you know, all I got to do is stop, stop going to church, stop, stop, you know, uh, being a fundamentalist. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of this will go away. Right. What Peter is saying is, this is the true grace of God. This is it. Yeah. Like, this is real. Uh-huh. Um, so so hold on to it. Don't, don't doubt it. Don't throw it away. Don't cast it aside as irrelevant. Don't water it down. Um, this, this is the true grace of God, and, and he's been talking about this throughout the book. He began by, by blessing God because... According to his great mercies, caused us to be born again to this this hope, this living hope, and yeah. and we and just have the this... very very beginning of this letter. You have election regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all these great doctrines. You have election. With... You have regeneration. You have um, the, the glorious inheritance for those who persevere. There's all of this comes through the um, substitutionary death of Christ. You have all of these these major points of of doctrine um, related to salvation. All right here, 
and he he just talks about it throughout the book. Yeah. And here he he finally just summarizes it. He you know he's this is in his final greetings. It's so great how he does this. Like he doesn't just rehash everything, but in his final greetings, he hits on all of these major points that it's it's like these bookends. Mm-hmm. What he's talked about at the beginning, he comes back around to at the end. And this is the true grace of God. This is the true, trustworthy gospel. Believe it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't doubt it. Um, don't think that this is not worth it mm-hmm. because it is. Yeah. So the second observation is to stand firm in it. Mm-hmm. And it goes along with yeah, they the, go hand in with, hand. They go hand in <clears throat> hand. I mean, he he just has this this imperative right after he says, "This is the true grace of God." Stand firm in it, right? And the temptation being that uh, as suffering comes, they they may not stand firm in it. Right? They may they may take the easier road, which is to avoid suffering by fa- failing to stand firm. Yeah. Yeah, a uh, funny story from Northwest <laughs> before the merge. All right. uh, there was a an older lady's Sunday school class that my mom would go to whenever she, um, whenever my parents would visit, and she told me this story, and okay. she was a little <laughs> she was a little upset about it. <laughs> uh, they were talking about persecution and what would you do if you know if someone asked if you're a Christian, and all the ladies were like, you know. It, say I'm a Christian, like confess I'm a Christian. There was this one lady. <laughs> she said, I would say no. <laughs> I would say no uh, to save my life. And everyone was shocked. And she was like, well, Jesus will forgive me later. Right. And I think that there, maybe that was, that was an extreme case, but mm. I think that there is that temptation to deny Christ because, well, you know, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Right. Like God knows that I'm just trying to save my life. <laughs> As if this is acceptable Christian right. behavior. Um don't do that. <laughs> like stand firm in the gospel. Yeah. Um no matter if and, and again, first Peter, it doesn't seem like it's come to the point where the Christians are actually dying for their faith. This is People are insulting you for being a Christian. Uh-huh. This is um, maybe you don't get that job right. because you're a Christian. Um, everyone is going to the pagan temple, um, and if you want to be a part of society, you go with them. And the Christians don't, and so they're ostracized. They're they're pushed to the the outer um, rim of society. Like these are these are real um, and hurtful ways in which Christians were suffering. Mm-hmm. And he's telling them, stand firm in the gospel. And yeah. he's he's warning them that it's going to increase. Mm-hmm. In just a few short years, they will start killing Christians um, simply because they're not, you know, all you gotta do is give a little dash of incense to the, the statue of the emperor and you can save your life. <clears throat> stand firm in the gospel. Well, the people may not understand what you mean by that. Um, so... You may just be out and about doing your business at the marketplace, mm-hmm. buying some groceries for the family, and here comes some Roman soldiers, and they're carrying a image of Caesar. Yeah, and they come by, and they're they're expecting that the people of Rome, the citizens, will do their citizenry. Is that a correct word? Duty. Yes. 
their duty as, yeah, as citizens. Worship the emperor. And worship the emperor because um, they saw him as a living God. Yeah. And so they come by, and the way you worship is you just take some of this incense and you throw it on this this little mobile alt- altar that they have. Uh-huh. Burns up in front of his bust. His bust, and they come by, and all your everyone at the marketplace does it, and then they come to the Christian, the Christian, <clears throat> and the Christian is like C- Caesar's not Lord, Jesus C- is Lord. Yeah, there's yeah a title for Caesar was Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. and so. Christians obviously started to use that phrase right. at, for Jesus for uh, very well. There, it's theologically accurate, but as a counter to say, no, he's a man. Yeah, he's only a man. There's only one God, and they only worship and they worship Christ, and they won't worship a man. Mm-hmm. And that might cost you your life, depending on this. Is what people don't understand these these Roman soldiers are they're not answerable to regular citizens. If you're not a Roman citizen, now if you're a Roman citizen, you may could have a trial or something. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, you're just a Jew, Right. they may just take their, their sword out and just stab you right in the heart mm-hmm. for not worshiping Caesar yeah. in an instant. Like one, one second you're buying groceries with your kids, next second your kids are watching you bleed out. Yep. Um, but even if they don't kill you... Um, I mean, we can look at Revelation 13. Um, you might not be able to buy and sell. Yeah. Uh, your, your whole livelihood can be taken away mm-hmm. um, simply because you won't worship Caesar. Yeah. And um, I, again, going back to the sermon last week where Peter warns them, your adversary, the devil, he's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, uh, resist him, firm in your faith yeah uh, this this is the roaring of the lion mm-hmm. is is things like this right. like it's frightening you see you see that happening in your city and you know i can't i can't throw this this pinch of incense and say that caesar is lord because jesus is lord and that can cause some real anxiety and yet peter says resist the devil by being firm in your faith Stand in this. Mm-hmm. Stand firm in this. Be planted like a pillar. Yeah, and yeah. trust that this is the true grace of God. And even if you die, you know that there's a glorious inheritance awaiting those who persevere to the end. Yeah, yeah. All right. So today, how how do we apply this today? Standing firm in it today. What do we see going on today in our culture? Well, we I don't mean, I, we don't I, have I, Caesar coming around. Yeah, yet. Right. right. Um, but you see the watering down of the gospel. Mm. Um, and the, I think where the battle is raging the most is in the LGBTQ plus. Right. Um, that, that, that whole movement. Um, Christ, a, Christians are being. It's become the new American God. Yeah. Christians yeah. are being expected to bow down to it. Right. Um, and you see Christians bowing down to it. Oh, yeah. They're, even if they're not full-blown acquiescing to you know the, the culture, they are watering it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we see in evangelical circles is um, the acceptance of same-sex attraction Christians. Uh, you have the Revoice Conference that happened a couple of years ago. Right. Um, you've got these people like Sam Alberry, who's 
uh, you know, quote unquote, a celibate, same sex attracted Christian. Uh, but sin starts in the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have attraction to same sex, mm-hmm. like that's still a sin. And that's something that you need to repent of right. and find uh, mm. biblical counseling to, to battle that. And it, you, you, know, you don't it, just accept it and say, well, that's, you know, that, that's acceptable. As long as you don't act on it, it's fine. But, you know, there there are Christians that have that deal with same-sex attraction. Well, they might, and that's that's a product of their their fallen nature. But that's not where you stay. You don't stay in that and say, that's okay, you you battle against that and right. you get help for that because mm-hmm. that's a sin. Yeah, it's it would be the same thing for a man who would um, indulge in his attraction for, for females. Right. We are not a slave of our biology. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I would talk to my teenage son about. Yeah. You, you have desires that are built into you because of your biology, but you're not a slave to them, yep. right? The, the worldview of uh, the secular humanistic worldview says you are a slave to them. You are your desires. Mm-hmm. You're just a an animal. You're just a super intellectual, a self aware animal. Right. You are your desires, and so you can't be a fall from it. And then that that's part of their movement. I am who I am. But the Christian yeah. says it's fatalism. No, but the and then the Christian worldview says I'm not. I am not a slave to my biology. Yeah. I am my biology. Obviously, we're not, we're not Gnostics. Right. But I'm not a slave to anything because of Christ. Yeah. Right? I'm set free from sin. I'm not in bondage anymore. And so I'm able to uh, resist and to fight against temptations and desires and even overcome them. Yeah. But uh, more and more Christians are going to be ostracized for their views on sexuality. Uh Um, We we simply cannot go along with the culture that approves of homosexuality and transgender and all of this this sexual immorality we we simply cannot yeah one of the things you know when I talk to my kids about this is they they just assume this is the way the world always has been <laughs> right and like you guys don't understand that 10 years ago yeah it was still like considered a taboo mm-hmm. like it was it was not widely accepted. Right. I mean, Barack Obama was against same-sex marriage. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they've all changed now. Oh, yeah. Obviously, every they've all changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depraved man doesn't get better; he gets worse. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, it's like they forget that part of our history. It's like it never happened. Yeah. Like you guys are forgetting that ten years ago, and and if you go back even maybe like twenty years ago, I think mm-hmm. there were still sodomy laws. Yeah. But the ministry of truth has done its right. done its job, right? Yeah, and re rewritten history. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's this is going to be the place where we have to stand firm. Yeah, because I mean, if you don't, it's it's not enough to just be quiet. Right, you have to celebrate it. You have to openly celebrate it, and it's That's going issue, and it's yeah. going to be, it's going to get to the point where you're going to lose your job. Uh-huh. You're going to have a hard time finding employment because uh-huh. you won't celebrate homosexuality. Yeah. And um, the Christian is going to be tempted to backpedal, to, to water it down, to make that compromise. And so the words of, of Peter to the saints is the same. This right. is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, let me turn my notes back on here. 
We talked, and, and we this talked is so a, long. I mean, this is up. this is just one area. It's probably the the biggest area, but we've seen the we've seen it this year with uh, with Christians just kind of caving to the woke movement oh, yeah. and the social justice movement. Mm-hmm. Like this is the same. Um, you've got big names in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, making videos affirming Black Lives Matter and not making any kind of distinction between the movement and just a a, a, a fact, yeah. Black lives do matter uh-huh. um, <laughs> because they're made in the image of God. Right. But the movement itself is godless, right. Right. and we cannot affirm it. Uh-huh. Uh, but you, you've got, you've got guys like Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks and Thabiti, uh, and these guys who, um, they were going along with churches closing, but they were marching in these Black Lives Matters. Yeah. Um, protests right. in Washington DC. Yeah. Like you've got you've got this stuff going on. Yeah. So the the uh, the homosexual stuff it's not and it's say, not the only thing, but they it, even, it's probably the the main thing that you're going to have to battle with, but there's other things. They even got duped into the say the say her name thing or say mm-hmm. his name and not realizing I can't br- I can't breathe. Not realizing that the founders of the BLM movement were invoking in the say their name movement, they mm-hmm. were invoking a form of African uh, spirit, spiritism. Mm. Did you see that? Uh-uh, I did. Yeah, they said when we invoke their name, it's an act of worship, and we draw power from oh, wow. our deceased ancestors. Mm. No, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, dude. We, we haven't talked about this yet we on this program. Not, we have not. Oh, I'm gonna find that clip. Okay. Yeah. I know. I know there was witchcraft and stuff that was going on. Going on. That's the founder the, the of BLM talked about that. That that they okay. they are drawing on the power of these dead. Okay. Uh, I, I, I they're these these. Well, in their mind, the, okay. the victims of police okay. brutality, I kn- they, I knew they that chant they'd... their name. It okay. gives them power. I, I knew that they did witchcraft, but I didn't. Yeah, we haven't talked about I'm not that making that up, too. I mean, I'm going to play it okay. on Friday, yeah. and, and you can hear them in their own words. Uh, but yeah, you got so you got these Christian pastors running mm-hmm. around the streets chanting, chanting their names. Yeah. Like, don't be so gullible and... Right. Uh, what 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 is the word I'm even looking for? Christians and what what? <laughs> this is really getting off, but we need to stand firm in the gospel. This is and this and this is this is what it's this is what it's about, right? Um, you've got these Christians that they just follow the culture. This is the problem I have with the ERLC. I mean, there's a lot of problems, but this is this is a problem I have yeah. is that they always seem to be affirming where the wind blows. Mm-hmm. So they didn't they didn't champion John MacArthur when he opened his church they were completely silent yeah then you know uh capitol hill they have their lawsuit and they they support them and then when the supreme court strikes down um governor cuomo's uh restrictions on churches then they have something about how this is oh this is such a great thing after the fact they're after the fact so they want to make sure where the wind blows before They they before they say anything that is so unchristian yeah it's so unchristian. Yeah, yeah. The the real Christians should be the ones who are leading the they're leading the charge. Like yeah. people like John MacArthur, we should be acknowledging his courage in the face of all the all the backlash I've, that they've they've experienced in California. Yeah. Um and there's there's numerous nameless pastors that have oh, done yeah. the same all thing. But John MacArthur is going to get more heat because he's big name, big yeah. church. Um, but there's all these pastors that are leading the charge, and you got the ERLC that they come behind after, after the the fires have died down, and they yeah. say, "Oh, great job to these people," yeah. <laughs> and it's 
it's frustrating to see stuff like that. Yeah. It's always, I've said before, it's always humorous to me that these, these men love uh, Winston, uh, uh, Churchill. They love Churchill, mm-hmm. right? And he's like a hero to them. And in their mind, I think they're Churchill-like, and they write their books, The Courage to Stand and The Coming uh-huh. Storm and right. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, the only guy that's like Churchill is John MacArthur, and none of you like him. You don't like him at all. You wouldn't have liked Churchill. Yeah. You you would be the guys trying to stab Churchill in the back. Right. Yeah, if well, you they, lived back then. They're all, you know, they're, they they uh, they love the reformers. But they're nothing like them. Yeah. Like they they do not emulate guys like Martin Luther and Calvin and John Knox and these guys that like they're they know that this is going to bring heat on them, but they do it anyway and they right. say these things anyway uh-huh. because they're standing firm in the gospel. Right. And that's what we need. We need we need guys who are standing firm in the gospel. Yeah, yeah standing firm. So we trustworthy gospel, stand firm in the gospel. And then three, we're exiles. <clears throat> and you you brought out of this. I think it's a connection. We don't need to go all through the connection, but the, he 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 uses the word Babylon, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, the uh, she who was at Babylon, mm-hmm. who was likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So you 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 use this portion to remind us of this other major theme, which is we are exiles in a foreign land. Yeah. Um, and we need to remember that. Like, this place is not our home. I'm not saying that in an escapism way, right. where we think, oh, well, we just got to get out of this place. I think we work where we are. Uh, uh, in our church, our church becomes a little outpost of heaven, but we need to be reminded that there's a coming new heaven and a new earth, and we are not to be satisfied with this place in which we're living. Yeah, we very much are like the exiles. Yeah, yeah. He's using this. I don't think that he's actually in the city of Babylon. I think he's using <clears throat> this as as code. Now, if someone's listening, they're not familiar, maybe, with the Old Testament. Uh, Babylon is where the Israelites were taken away. Mm-hmm. Their their nation was conquered. Temple was destroyed. They're taken away to a foreign land. Yeah, and they're in a land that's not their own, surrounded by people that are not theirs. Pagans. Pagans. And that's that's the term he's using to 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 make a strong Yeah, visual. he's making this theological statement. Yeah. Um I think he's in Rome. Yeah. And I think the connection is found in, in Revelation seventeen and eighteen. I think I think John is using Babylon in the same way. Right. I think I think that he's he's talking about Rome. Yes. Um, and he's using the term Babylon because of these deep theological implications right. of Babylon. This is the place of rebellion. This is the place of exile, of, of paganism, idolatry. Um, and Peter is saying there's a church here. Uh-huh. And he's, he's, um, he's doing this because he's been calling the, the Christians in Asia Minor exiles. And he's saying, look, we may be separated by a thousand miles, but we're in Babylon too. Mm-hmm. Like we're in exile too. Right. It's not you. It's not just you guys in these um, kind of out of the way border regions of the Roman Empire. I'm in the capital, and this is Babylon. We're in exile too. Mm-hmm. And so wherever you are as a Christian, you're in Babylon. You're you're in exile. Yeah. Um. You're you're not alone. You are a stranger in this world, and you need to live like it. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many Christians, they just kind of get comfortable with this world, and they go along with everything that the world is doing. So they have to follow the same trends. They have to watch the same movies and listen to the same music, and they're 
um, you know, they're enthralled by the same award shows and they listen to, you know, the same political pundits and they just buy into all of this stuff and they forget that this isn't our home. Mm-hmm. And I think on the flip side, um, Christians can be really stressed out by the things that they see going on in this world. I mean, 2020 has just done a number on all of us. And so we're just being beaten down and it can be, it can be frustrating uh-huh. to see um, the political climate and um, all of these regulations and uh, you see authoritarians just closing businesses and ruining people's lives and it can get really depressing. It yeah. can get, you, you can just be filled with anxiety and stress and we need to remember that this isn't our home. Yeah, And we're not the first Christians that have had to navigate our way through exile right um, yeah. there there are christians even now around the world that we are all we're all just on the the sojourn through exile we're on our way to the heavenly jerusalem uh-huh. and if we'll just remember that i think that it will go a long way for to giving us some peace yeah um and and you know it's not gonna get rid of all our fears we still have the coronavirus and we still have still an undeclared election (laughs) we have all of these these things and it's not going to just magically uh disappear but it does help for us to remember that we're we are we are just strangers and sojourners and we're making our way home yeah very good okay fourth observation um we need the church so explain how you for why you extracted that from this and how then we would go about applying it today. Well, um, we've got she who is at Babylon, mm-hmm. and I think this is a church. There's been other, there's been other um, suggestions. This is Peter's wife. Why does he need to? Why does he need to send a greeting from her as if she's somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how does the first pope have a wife though? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, I thought that was illegal. You know, that's why Calvin thinks that Peter was actually in Babylon. He thinks that that um, the the Roman Church was using this idea that he's in Rome to support the papacy. Uh-huh. Um, so Calvin was not he he wasn't a fan of the idea that Peter's in Rome and he's talking about Rome as Babylon. Um, but I, I think that's that's unfounded. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's there's different suggestions. But I think that I think that it's a church. So he's sending greetings from the church in Rome. Uh So the church in Rome is sending greetings to these Christians that he's writing to in Asia Minor. You got Mark. This is John Mark, the the uh, the author of the Gospel of of Mark. He's Uh he's with Peter in Rome, Um, and then you you have Peter telling them the the local churches greet one another with a kiss of love. This would have been you know the cultural greeting of affection and kinship and and friendship. amongst the believers. And I think that this picks up on this idea of loving the brotherhood that's throughout the letter. Like he sprinkles this at different places throughout the letter that you're not alone. Uh-huh. Like you're you have fellowship with other Christians, like the the Christians in Rome and the Christians in Asia Minor even though they're separated and they may not they may have never had any kind of um face to face. They still have fellowship with one another. The church in Rome can still send greetings to them because 
those separated by um, you know miles and miles, they still are family, mm-hmm. and they still love one another. Yeah, Mark. Um, even though he may not have been to all these places, he may not know these people, he still sends greetings because they would have known who he was because he was a companion of Paul. Yeah. Um, and he sends his greetings to them. They have they have this common fellowship. And then and then the local church is supposed to have this affection for one another yeah, as so, family. So you had three things out of here. Can you read those three things to me very quickly? Yeah. Uh, we share a common salvation. Right. Um, she who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen... Mm-hmm. So that that picks up the idea of election. Um, yeah. Literally, it just means who's elect along with you. Right. So they're elect, verse 1 of chapter 1. The church in Rome is also elect. So we, we share a common salvation. We have a common fellowship. Uh-huh. So they know one another and they, can, they have that bond. Uh, and then there's a common affection. Uh-huh. Um, and we're, we're to love one another uh-huh. in a real way. And I, I brought out um, how we should be in our local church. Like this isn't just uh, random strangers that we come and worship together with, you know, once a week. Right. We're not a big church. Like we've got seventy-four members, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we should all know each other. And I, I made the the statement: if you don't know everyone in this church, the problem is probably with you. Mm. Like, stick around and talk to people. Don't yeah. don't show up late and leave early. Right. <laughs> like, don't just jet out as soon as the the church service is over with. Like, get to know someone. If you don't know their name, go ask them. Uh. Like, you, there's no excuse in a small church like this to not know everybody. Right. Um, and we should have that affection for one another and that kiss of love, uh, the holy kiss. This is a a physical action that reflects how you feel about that person mm. like you're not gonna kiss somebody that you don't like right like that's that's the irony of of judas giving jesus a kiss when he betrays him yeah like this is a, a sign of affection and love and he's doing it as a betrayer mm-hmm. um but think about the the situation of these churches like they're being ostracized by their communities by their jobs maybe family members and what they need to remember is that when they come to the church, when they meet together, that's their family. Mm-hmm. Like you're not alone. Yeah. All, all of your biological family and your neighbors and your friends, they might abandon you. Those who are in Christ, they won't leave you. They're, they are your friends. They are your family. And we, sh- we should have that affection towards one another. And we're going to need that when, when fiery trials come and you're, you're being insulted for the sake of Christ and and uh, they might be dragging you to jail. Um, you need to know that there's going to be someone sharing the jail cell <laughs> with you. Uh-huh. Like you got you got Paul and Silas singing in in jail together in the middle of the night uh-huh. because even though the government is against them, you got a brother that's in chains right next to you, yeah. and there can be that real affection towards one another. Yeah, and yeah. and we need that. Um, there there can be a real um, isolationist attitude amongst Christians. And I think that's why so many Christians are just fine doing online church service and they see that as a perfectly oh, yeah. acceptable um, replacement for actually meeting because at least you're not going to get sick. Right. But there is no replacement. One of the things that I just absolutely hate is that um, 
like we're we got all these people around here and um I'm not like the huggiest person, but I do like to hug people. Yeah. And like we can't like right now, it's kind of like become the cultural norm where you give a fist bump instead of a handshake. Uh you're not hugging anybody. And that's just I don't know. You can't stay like that forever. Yeah, we're not made to be like we that. We can't be like that. We're not that's not how God has wired us to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're meant to we're meant to have that physical contact yeah. with other humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not an island. Yeah. And especially in the church. Uh-huh. Like there's there is no substitute for being together in the church. And I know you know that. You've been gone for the last couple of weeks because of yeah. quarantine and actually being back and being around other believers, yeah. seeing them face to face, being able to talk to them, <clears throat> yeah. shaking someone's hand. Like that's there's you cannot you cannot tell me that online church service is the same. Yeah. You cannot tell me that breaking out your Teddy Grahams and your juice box and having online virtual, you know, quote unquote communion <laughs> is the same as actually being in the same room with other believers and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh-huh. Like there's there's nothing there's nothing that can replace that. Yeah, that's right. And it's a foretaste of of our inheritance. Uh-huh. Um we will be together forever. Yeah. All right, last one, last observation that summarizes up this letter is the peace of Christ. That's how this letter finishes. Yeah, last line, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, Uh, You know, there's nothing really unusual about that. Um, You can find that in other letters. Yeah. Um, Often grace and peace are are, uh, linked together. Uh, he he opened the book by saying peace, grace and peace to all of you. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to remember the context of the book. You got to remember the, the the tone of the book. And he's been telling them, you're going to suffer. <laughs> you're going to experience insults and blasphemes and, and all of these terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's telling them to submit to governing authorities that are unbelievers, are pagans, uh, honor the emperor. Um this would have been Nero. He's a crazy man. Mm-hmm. Um, submit to um, unjust masters. Submit to your husband, even if he's an unbeliever. You're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves them with peace because he he's not going to leave them hanging. Like there's a lot of uh, fuel for your anxiety right there. Yeah. And yet he's showing them that they can have peace. And it's not a peace that um, is like the world gives. Well, you know, that's the one thing that I think is obvious about this year is it shows that um, people just don't have any peace in their Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yep. This has been the most peaceless, you know, uh, year for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Even even some Christians. Yeah. And then we shouldn't be that way. Yeah, I think um you know, I, I've I haven't stressed out about the virus. Mm. And that can be misconstrued as not taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Like you don't think people are really dying. <laughs> you don't think people get really sick. I, I I do believe that the virus um you can die from it, that it's it can be serious for people. Um but at the same time I have peace about it because even if I get it, even if I die 
like I know that that's part of God's plan. Uh-huh. Like this isn't outside of God's sovereignty. Like every day of my life has been written in his book before a single one has passed. This, this hasn't like, Oh, I was supposed to die when I was 80, but that virus, well, what are you going to do? Uh-huh. Like this is part of God's plan. And I know that there's an inheritance waiting for all who trust in Christ. Uh-huh. And so even in the midst of death all around you, you can still have peace. Right. That doesn't mean that you're not taking seriously the, the cares of the world. It just means that you have peace uh-huh. <laughs> because you are resting in God's sovereignty. You're resting in his promises. Um, you know that um, your greatest danger, your your greatest threat, your greatest fear um, has already been taken care of in Christ. Christ has paid for my sin. Um, he's died the death that I deserved, mm-hmm. and he lives. And because I trust in him, I'll live too. Yeah. And he's He's ascended. He's praying for me right now. Um, it, the, all of those things, they give us peace. Yeah, a lot of times we, we don't have that peace because we can have the incorrect perspective. Like you're talking about now having this biblical Christian perspective, not just on this world, but uh, eternity. Mm. And you know, you think back when you're in high school, right? You, that was your whole world. That's all you can think of. Right. So if something happened with your friends uh, or a girl or whatever, it's the end of the world. Oh yeah. But now you look back, right, and you're like, I'm not. I don't have any friends from when I was in high school. Still, <laughs> right. like those people aren't my friends. Yeah. Like if so, if you knew then what you know now nothing that happened to you back then would ever rob you of peace because you'd have the correct perspective. Well, the Bible gives us that perspective because it tells us what's in the future. It tells us what Christ has done, what awaits us. Uh, Eternity is a a long time. That's right. And it's a glorious inheritance that we have. And if we just can have that perspective, that brings the peace. Yeah. Yep. And this is available not just for super-Christians— Right. Like this this last line says peace to all of you who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. This is available for every single Christian, but it's only available in Christ. Uh. It's not available as um well, if only things will get better. Mm-hmm. If only the vaccine will come out, I'll have peace. Like that's not the kind of peace that we're looking for. We're not looking for this transient shallow peace. We're looking for deep abiding peace that even though the entire world is crumbling, we're standing firm because of who Christ is. Yeah, very good. Our George did a good job in First Peter. Um, coming up on the next few text driven Tuesdays, we'll have some of our elders that don't uh, get that don't have many opportunities to preach. So they're going to have an opportunity in December to preach. So you're going to hear from um, who's first, Dave, mm-hmm. then Parker, then Philip. So we'll we'll have them in. That'll be a little different. We'll have. You'll still be in here, hopefully, and hopefully. we can have. We'll have three yeah. people in here on Lord Text Driven really. Tuesday, and then um, end of December, I'll do the rare. It's rare, like a unicorn, almost around here. The rare top <laughs> topical sermon, maybe rare. Yeah, a rare topical sermon. And you got to ca- you got to cast that vision for twenty twenty one for that's us, right. Jay. And I do. Without a vision, the people perish. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's my. It's our job. Got to cast that vision. They yeah. can't make it. Yeah. Uh, we're joking. Yes, that's just that. That's the uh, inside joke between me and George. That's what all preachers preach on the Sunday before the New Year. Yeah, 
we'll have to we'll have to discuss that when we get closer to the, <laughs> the end of the year. Oh man! And so then January we're back in John John chapter sixteen. Um, looking forward to that. And then George, you'll hit us with Second Peter. That's the plan coming up in February. Um, one day I'll finish John. Maybe I'll just go through John. What, what do you say we do a, a run through John's writings? Yeah. Eventually we'll get to Revelation. That'll be fun. Okay. <laughs> That's like four years from now. So, all right. We better shut this thing down. It's good to be back uh, in here with you, George, even though uh, talking this long absolutely exhausted me. I don't, ha- I don't have the wind back. The I'm wind sorry. hasn't come back from yeah. me. It's coming back. So uh, if this is beneficial to you, hopefully it is, uh, like, subscribe, share. You might even do something crazy, like write us a review on Facebook. Hey. That would be awesome. So please do that. Hopefully this has been beneficial to you and helped you to become more conformed to Christ.